Okay, hi everybody, and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm from County Dublin in Ireland. I'll be your host for today's study, and our co-hosts are Nancy J, Sue L, and Audrey N. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please reach out to either myself or any of the co-hosts, and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that our speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the Q&A which follows afterwards, we don't record that. And we've put a previous link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function. And this week we are on week number 96. So we've 95 previous recordings on YouTube. So if you want to access any of them, just we'll post the details for you now in a moment. We ask that you could please make sure that your microphone is on mute at all times during today's study. And also, if you can turn off your video, if you need to step away from the screen. For Maria, the, the, it cuts you off. I don't know where you even are. I have no idea where you even are right now. Can I be heard? I don't know. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, because Maria, all of a sudden you were gone. You were just gone. Okay. Hi, I'm glad to see everybody today. This is wonderful. This is fantastic. It's April the 30th, 2022. Wowee. And um, I just want to remind everyone that on June the 4th, which is a Saturday, we are not going to be meeting in this forum as I'm going to be going to Los Angeles, California, to do big book study in uh, Los Angeles. So we will be there. If you can make it, we would love to see you. It would just be fabulous. I'm a little nervous. I have to share this with you. This is gonna be my first foray into a live big book meeting since Sarasota, Florida back in 2020. So it has been over two years since I have been live in front of OA people. And it is going to be a little weird just to be there, you know, just to do this again. Uh, I hope I didn't lose my touch. I hope I didn't lose my skills. But it is a little nerve wracking to do this after a two year absence from doing it. And so I'm looking forward to it slash dreading it. So June the 4th, we will not be meeting. Wow, we're coming up almost to 100 of these sessions. Can you believe that? And many of you uh, have been with me on here since we were at the coffee plantation back in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, up to a couple of years ago. And then we switched to Zoom. And I was having a conversation I want to share with you. I was having a conversation uh, this morning, actually, with a, a, a fellow in OA, and we were talking about how Zoom and technology have just eradicated all borders, all lines. Everything in OA is changing. It's changing. And I think it's changing for the better. Maybe you can disagree. I don't know. But things like regions and things like intergroups and things like, you know, these, these various pockets of, of uh, no meetings. There's a lot of people, some of you live in large cities 
and you assume that there are meetings in every little town in America. And let me assure you, as someone who I lived in Eugene, Oregon for nine years, there are not meetings of Overeaters Anonymous in every little town in Hamlet in America or anywhere else for that matter either. So don't ever take for granted that this new technology is bringing Overeaters Anonymous to people who have heretofore had to travel an hour or two hours or three hours just to get to a live meeting, or they had to sit in an AA meeting that they really didn't belong in, in terms of they're not alcoholics, as I did for nine years when I lived in Eugene, Oregon, I went to the New Freedom Group of AA on Coburg Road, if anybody knows where that is. And those new freedom people took me in and they knew my secret and it was just wonderful, just wonderful. They treated me so well and I am forever, I got abstinent in Eugene, Oregon. I will forever be indebted to them. But what this does is it brings OA right to the computer of anybody who is suffering from their eating disorder. And in a lot of ways, of course, I'm sorry that there was COVID. Of course, I'm not, I'm not, of course, I'm not crazy enough to say, oh, you know, no matter what. No, of course, the tragedies and, and, and the illnesses of people, I, I'm not oblivious to that. It's, it's horrible. And, and I wish each one of them, you know, the peace that they deserve. Um, but in the face of the pandemic, everything changed for the better as far as we are concerned. This is wonderful. And yes, many of us miss live meetings. We miss those face-to-face -face encounters, but this is also wonderful. And we'll be right at about a hundred of these as I leave for LA, because we've got four more to go and we've got four weeks left of May. So we'll be right at a hundred somebody's unmuted, will be right at about 100 when uh, LA uh, takes place. So I'm really glad uh, that we have these changes. Of course, email. I'm very sorry Congrats. about somebody is unmuted. So if you are a host or a co-host, if you could mute that person, we would be much, uh, much the, much grateful, much grateful. We'd be most grateful. That's a little different. Most grateful. Okay. Anyway, so we have uh, this chapter and, and one of the things that will never change, one of the things about uh, compulsive overeating that will never change is the process of recovery. It's that process of recovery. And that will never, ever, ever change. The, we have an illness that only a spiritual awakening or spiritual experience will conquer. And that not, there's no cure, but we can live free. We can live in emancipation one day at a time because of this magnificent program and the truths that we have before us, the truths that we have in this book will never change. And I sincerely hope that we never ever come to a point in our lives where we lose sight of that because no matter how things change, that will not change ever. We're on page 24, and we're going to begin with the paragraph that says, 
the alcoholic may say to himself, page 24, the alcoholic may say to himself. And while you're getting there in your book, I just want to sort of recap some things that are so important about this chapter that I feel they need to be restated. The very first thing about this chapter that I noticed when I opened it up is the title of the chapter. And the title of the chapter, there is a solution. I read it in two different ways. The first way that I read this title of the chapter is I read it as there is a solution with the emphasis on is. Because for thousands of years, thousands of years, there was no solution. People like me that are compulsive overeaters, we weren't called compulsive overeaters centuries ago, thousands of years ago, we were called gluttons. And if you look at any good dictionary, you look at the word glutton, G-L-U-T-T-O-N, glutton, and you will find my picture should be right next to that word because it didn't matter whether it was whether it was almond joy it didn't matter whether it was kit kat didn't matter whether it was potato chips money whatever it was attention there was never enough there was never enough i am a glutton and people that were drug addicted. Yes, they had drugs hundreds and hundreds of years ago. The Chinese fought a series of wars called the Opium Wars. We won't go into the whole history of that, but the Chinese were fighting wars and they had delaudanum and they had opium and they had uh, all kinds of, of hallucinogens and drugs many, 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 many years ago. And they had liquor, you know, the bottles change, the labels change, the brand names change, but they've had alcoholism for thousands of years. And as we've said here, Solomon in the Old Testament, he wrote in the book of Solomon that he believed that alcoholism was an illness, but he couldn't prove that and he had no remedy for it. Notice I didn't use the word cure, I used the word remedy. Uh, and for thousands of years, people have looked up and said, what are we going to do about these addictive behaviors? And it was written off as weak will, lack of discipline, lack of character, lack of willpower. And all of us, I bet, I know I was, I was told from the time I was a little boy, Harlan Grabowski, if you just use your discipline, if you just push yourself away from the table, if you will just eat half, if you will just blah, 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 you can do this. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't even know what the hell bootstraps were when I was four years old, for crying out loud. What the hell is a bootstrap? I didn't know. But one thing I knew I could not do, and I tried doing it. And if I tried doing it now, I would meet with the same results. And that is use my unaided discipline and willpower to try to stay out of the food. I can't do it. And I bet you can't either. Oh, for periods of time, I was very good. There were times when I lost a lot of weight, but not only did I put it back on very, very quickly, but I was always on the bonus plan. 
lose 100, gain 150, lose 150, gain 220. I never got back to where I was. I always shot past it. I always shot past that weight. And when I look at the title of the chapter, there is a solution. It is extremely comforting to know that after thousands of years, the men and women who brought this to us, although none are still here, did not live lives in vain. That as horribly hellacious as their drunken experiences were, and some of them recovered and some of them did not, they brought to the world a solution, a remedy for a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Now I look at the title of the chapter again, and I say, there is a solution. Now, there are people that will take issue with me when I say that. And there are people that, you know, no matter where I go, they'll get up and say, I work my program out of the AA or the OA stuff, or I work my program out of this book or that book. God bless them. I'm not judging that. I'm not passing any kind of judgment on it. For the love of God, however you work your program, whatever source you find comfort, whatever source you find find direction. All I can speak to is my hope, strength, and experience. And for me, not for you, but for me, there is one way to do this program. And the only way that I have found it to be effective is to work my program out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that seems very simple to me. I have a kind of a simple puny brain. My brain is that size of about a salmon or not even a salmon, like a perch or a bluegill. That's about how puny my brain is. I can't absorb a ton of information. So for me, simpler is always the best because for me, I don't want to sit and make decisions. I'm too scared of making the wrong decision. So if you take decision-making away from me, I will be most comfortable. So this takes the decision making away from me and gives me a linear plan to follow. What do I mean by a linear plan? It's a straight line from step one, and it leads you through straight linear line through 12, and then brings you back again to 10, 11, and 12 for the rest of my life with an occasional four here and there that I do from time to time. I wish the allergies were not as bad. They're not as bad as they were last week or the week before, but they're still pretty bad. So if you, if you text me and say, why are you crying? I'm not crying, but my eyes are watering up and my nose has been just nuts, but my eyes are watering up. I'm not crying. I'm just having an allergic reaction. So I'm trying to minimize it, but some of you will text me and say, it looks like you're crying, but I'm truly, I'm not. I'm just reacting to everything being in bloom in my neighborhood here. All the trees and shrubbery are just really coming into their own as we're starting to move into the meat and potatoes of summer. So there is a solution. There is a solution. And we talked in this chapter about the tremendous value 
of the fellowship. Now, I cannot recover on fellowship alone. No way can I recover just on fellowship. But I need a God squad. I need other people to recover with. Because for me, you bring me an education. I learn more from you than you will ever learn from me. You know, one of my heroes in this program, and I have some heroes in this program, you see these things on Facebook every once in a while, and they'll say, if you could have lunch with anybody living or dead, who would you have lunch with? And I will tell you that without thinking, without blinking, without drinking, without winking, the one person that I would want to have lunch with would be Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson would be the guy that I would want to have lunch with or have, they'll say, who would you like to have a one hour conversation with? Gosh, it'd be Bill Wilson. But right behind Bill Wilson, if I could just add one person to that, it would be Clancy Immislin. I am a big fan of Clancy's and I have always loved his podcasts. I got the pleasure of meeting him not once but twice over here at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club. It was a blistering hot summer day here in Arizona. The sweat was pouring off everyone. Everyone was running around in short and t-shirts. And there he was standing in the breezeway of the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club in a sport coat, a tie, a long sleeve white shirt, pressed pants, and the most beautiful smile on his face. He was so happy to be there. And he said something when he spoke that night that stayed with me. He says, you do not get this program by absorbing spiritual information. You get this program by transmitting spiritual information. And if we didn't have the fellowship, there wouldn't be anybody to transmit that information to. And the fellowship is very, very important for me. Yes, I understand that the book was written so you could recover with it alone. I do understand that. I know enough about history to absorb that. But I just want you to know that if I didn't have you guys telling your stories, I would feel so alone and alienated because I came in here with an egotistical view that the things that I went through with food, the thoughts that I think and the actions that I take and the way I eat were secret and unique unto me. Remember that the ego has three jobs. Make me right. Make me feel good right now. That's why I want to eat right now. I need those milk duds right now. I can't survive that feeling of angst and that feeling of anger for very long. I need to feel good right now. So please give me extra cheese on my double meat Whopper or whatever that is for, for you. But also it says, make me different from everybody else. And when I hear your stories, when I hear you come to the forefront, now it's Zoom, it used to be the live meetings. You know, when I came in here, you couldn't share from your seat. You had to go to the front of the room to share because we used to sit theater style. But in Scottsdale, we sit around a table. So if you share, you just 
continue sitting and you share. But when I came in here for the first years I was in program, you couldn't do that. We sat theater style. You went up to the front and there was a line. And if, if A was sharing, then B, C, and D would be in a line to the left of the podium. And then they would go up and the timer would raise their hand the timer would raise their hand and the next person would come over to share. And that's the way we did it. Some of you remember that because I know there are a couple of people in this room that came in right around the time I came into OA. So you had that experience too. Or you know what they did? I, there was one woman, her name was something. I, I'll think of it, but it doesn't matter what her name is. She had a clicker and it looked like a frog is what it looked like, a frog. And she would hold that frog in her hand and go doot doot, and it would click like you'd click at school and it would go doot doot, and then the next person would go over. It was almost like a military drill. It was really funny. She'd click that clicker. She was at the Thursday night meeting at the Lieberman Center in Skokie, Illinois. And we would meet in this old folks home, this Jewish old folks home, and she'd click that clicker and the next person would move over. I don't think I'll ever forget that. That's something that's just indelibly etched into my mind is the sound of the clicker. And then when it would click, it was like the changing of the guards at Buckingham uh, Palace. But anyway, I learned so much from you. I learned from the bulimic. I learned from the anorexic. I learned from the person who struggles with all manner of things that affect this disease. And so I'm very grateful at a very deep level for each and every one of you. So the fellowship is very, very important. Now, last week we talked about that the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. So that means that we're not going to be talking about the allergy so much anymore. We're going to be talking about the mind because that's where the main problem is, is in the mind. I'm going crazy here from allergies. I hate taking allergy medicine because it just makes me so dry. I can't, I, I could drink Lake Michigan and I'd still be thirsty, but I can't live like this either. But anyway, that, that said, now see someone's texting me. Are you crying? No, I'm not crying. But anyway, um, uh, bottom line is the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Sorry, I know it looks like tears again, it's not, but the main problem centers in his mind rather than in his body. Okay, let's go to page 24 and it'll say three quarters of the way down the page, the alcoholic may say to himself, and we're going to begin there today. And we're going to, we're reminding you that this chapter is still step number one. I know how to say that in Italian. I learned that from my friend, Barbara G. Passo prima. Passo prima is step one in Italian. See, you didn't know you're going to get an Italian lesson today. You're going to get some AA history. See, this is a very full service big book study. Okay. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time. So here's how. 
or perhaps he doesn't think at all, how often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sakes, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink or what's the use anyhow? So remember that last week we were talking about the mental blank spot. And just to bring you back up to speed, what is the mental blank spot? The mental blank spot is that built-in forgetter, that thing that will not allow you to remember the nightmarish horror of what the food has done to you. And we are like dogs in the butcher window. We're looking at the meat and the bones in the butcher's window and we want them and we're salivating and we're going crazy. So we're looking at the candy. We're looking at the fried food. We're looking at God knows what kind of food we want to binge on. And all we know is I'm not feeling very good right now. I'm feeling something that I'm not even in touch with. I think I'm hungry. I think I just want to eat. But what's really going on is I am suffering from the buildup. <laughs> Sorry. I am suffering from the buildup of human emotion. And that eating becomes a step up from where I am. I think I'm just hungry. I can't get in touch with any of this until I stop and I get into recovery. But what I'm really feeling is the pain of the toxicity of these emotions. And so I want these milk duds. I want that almond joy bar. And I don't give a damn what I have to do, but I will convince myself that this time it's going to be okay. This time I'm going to be fine. And I never am. And I never will be. I forget that my pants already don't fit. I forget that my belt is so worn out, it's about to rip apart because I'm on the biggest notch that my belt has and my belt is ripping apart. I forget that my pants are so tight that they're turning over. I don't know if you guys know or had this experience, your pants kind of roll over because they can't lay flush against your stomach because they're so tight. They're drawn so tight because they don't fit. They're two, three sizes too small. I forget that I can't fit in my car. I forget that I can't get out of my car. I forget that I can't walk. I forget that I can't stand. I forget that I'm uncomfortable. I forget the fact that I've never been on a date with a girl in my life. I forget the people that make fun of me. I forget being an object of ridicule. I forget the loneliness and the isolation of this disease. And I get the screw-its. And when I get the screw-its, I become a hand waver. And when I wave my hand like this and say, screw it, when I pick my hand back up, there's food in it. There's food in that hand. And I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. I've written bad checks and I've done a lot of crazy, stupid, idiotic things in my life, things I'm deeply ashamed of, but I've never done anything crazier than pick up a baby Ruth bar or a Butterfinger bar or a Reese's peanut butter cup and put it in my mouth. 
I've never done anything crazier than that. And yet, if I stop working this program, if I stop working with others, if I stop doing the steps, I will pick those substances up and I will put them in my mouth yet again because I am feeling ashamed of all the food that I've eaten, I will eat more food to kill the shame. That is an act of insanity. That's not sane behavior. That's almost like throwing yourself into a wood chipper because you cut yourself shaving and you don't want to feel the pain of cutting yourself shaving. So you throw yourself into a wood chipper to kill the pain. I know that sounds crazy, but isn't it the same thing? It really, really is. Let's continue with what we've just said in mind that the mental blank spot becomes operative here. And we cannot tell ourselves with sufficient recollection what the food did to us. We just know that that cupcake is going to make everything okay. And it will for about nine seconds. For about nine seconds, that cupcake is going to make that girl of my dreams love me. The money that I don't have will be mine. Everything will be groovy and it won't be. Let's continue. Bottom of 24. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up may die or go permanently insane. Let's think about that for just a minute because that sentence is too important to just pass by. This is a form of insanity. It is bedlam. It is absolute crazy behavior. And yet it seems normal to us. Dr. Silkworth in the doctor's opinion says, most uh, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Many will pursue this to the gates of insanity or death. Although we admit it is injurious, we cannot after time tell the true from the false. Does that mean I think today is Tuesday? No. Does that mean I think I'm a power forward for the Houston Rockets? No. What it means is I will look at pizza I will look at food that I have no business eating that is at the top of my red light list. And I will think to myself that this time it's going to be okay. Now, if I bounce that thinking off of a sane person, they would look at me like I was out of my mind yet it makes perfect sense to me. And in keeping with what we said about the fellowship, this is why we need, or I need, I'm gonna just speak for me, this is why I need you. Because you never know when I'm gonna call you up and you never know when I'm gonna be at the store and I'm gonna to say to you, I have a tremendous urge to eat French fries. What do you think? And you'll say on the phone, Harlan, have you gone crazy? 
Have you gone insane? Haven't French fries ruined your life enough? Do you need them to ruin your life more than they already have? Do you need to suffer the loneliness and pain of isolation yet again? Do you need to live in the shame and horror that you live in when you eat French fries? How much pain do you want to inflict on yourself? And maybe that'll wake me up to the point where I won't eat them. Maybe, hopefully, it'll work. But it says here that we have placed ourselves beyond human aid. How does God come to me most of the time? Through his children, through you. And when I hear the same thing three times, I try to say to myself, I do say to myself, this is the voice of God. If somebody tells me I'm a duck, all right, maybe this person's just a little crazy. They have a duck, duck fixation. I'm actually an Oregon duck fan. Well, this is a club t-shirt. Sorry. I'm an Oregon duck fan. But now a second person says, hey, you're a duck. Now a third person says, hey, you're a duck. I better find a pond someplace and get my tuchus down on that water and start paddling around and quacking because probably I'm a duck. Because that's how God usually communicates with me is through the mouths of his precious children. When I find I cannot see God, when I find that God doesn't feel near to me, I will reach out to God by touching the lives of one of his children, meaning you. And this is why the fellowship is so vitally important for me. Let's continue. But this is very, very important that without God's help, I will go crazy. I will eat again. And for me to eat is to die. I have suffered enough. And yet you put me in front of a pizza and I will seek it yet again. This, these stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. Can we stop on our own? Probably not. How do I know that? There's 150 people on here. And I would be willing to bet there isn't one of you that hasn't tried to stop on your own. And if you were successful, you wouldn't be here. Remember, it says in the doctor's opinion that we have tried other things and they've all failed. I'm paraphrasing. If the pay and ways worked for you, if the diets worked for you, you probably would not be here. You would not be here. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care whether you live on Park Avenue or under a park bench. I don't care if you're from Yale or jail. I don't care if you're black or white. I don't care if you're Hispanic. I don't care if you're gay or straight, Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, tall, short. I don't care what you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you are. If you have this illness, only a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps will be your remedy. And there is no identification of 
of one thing or the other that is going to protect you from this. This disease is an equal opportunity murderer. And it will murder whoever it can. You can die from the disease or you can die with the disease. The choice is yours. I can die from the disease by not working my steps. I can die with the disease by working my steps, being a person who does everything they can do to recover. And although I will always have the disease, I will die of something else. In the questions and answers, if it comes up, I'm going to explain this one more time. Dying with the disease and from the disease is two very, very different concepts. From the disease means I ate myself to death. With the disease means I didn't. Very, very important distinctions to make. And so it becomes extremely important. And this chapter, there is a solution. One of the things that we're going to learn is the vital importance of the, of the fellowship and the vital importance that the spiritual awakening, I'm reticent to use the word spiritual experience because I've never had one. God never came to me in a sudden and profound way. I didn't have that. Maybe some of you did. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. God came to me slowly and continues to reveal himself slowly, but he makes progress with me. I learn all the time. Okay. That was good. That cleared me up. That's good. All right. I can breathe. All right. Very good. Oh, that was a good sneeze there. All right. Oh, hang on. Okay. Okay. I'm at the top of 25. That was a good sneeze. Now I'm all cleared up. There is a solution. So he's going to reiterate the title of the chapter. So important. It, this is the only chapter where this will get done, where he will reiterate in the chapter its very title. Very important. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires. The key word here is requires for its successful consummation. What is he talking about there? Let's look at it again. None of us like the self-searching, steps one, two, and three, the leveling of our pride, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the confession of shortcomings, 10, 11, and 12, which the process requires. What is he talking about there, guys? He's talking about working the steps. He's talking about an instruction. Remember, this is a textbook. Oh, that. All right. Well, the sneeze was productive, but now it's counterproductive here. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So we're looking at the working of the steps as being vital. It says it's required for its successful consummation. Without the working of the steps, there is no solution. You could be in the fellowship. I know people. I, I'm, I know people in Chicago, yes, for sure. But I know people here. I moved here in 2002, June the 23rd, 2002, 
was the first night that we ever spent in our home when we were a we, we were a family. We had German Shepherd, He's, he was number one. And then me and my wife, and I, I have a daughter, she's 27 now, she'll be 28 in December, but she's 27 years old now. We spent our very first night in our new home in Scottsdale, Arizona, June the 23rd, 2002. So it'll be 20 years since I've lived here. In the 20 years that I've lived here, I know people who claim to be abstinent and they are significantly larger than they were when I moved here, significantly larger. So I don't know what they're abstinent from, but it's up, that's up to them. But the bottom line is we don't wanna be in that category. We wanna be among the recovered. How do we get and stay among the recovered? We have to work the steps. It is, it is required for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others that, and, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. What does hopelessness and futility mean? It means our lives lacked hope and futile means without purpose. So we lacked hope and we had no purpose to our life. What is the purpose of my life? Yes, I have to make money and I'll get on that Monday, I promise. Monday morning, I'm gonna get on trying to make some, make some money. I wish I could retire, but gotta find myself uh, uh, that bag of money by the side of the road or hit the lottery, something, I don't know. But so far that hasn't worked. So Monday morning, I'm going to work. So that we have, and what else do we have? What is my purpose? Here's your purpose, to be the outstretched hand of Overeaters Anonymous to those who urgently seek it. For this, I am responsible. You are responsible to be passing on what you have been taught. And if you do not pass on what you have been taught, your life will not be as full. It will not be as productive. I'm going to repeat that again because I know it'll come up in Q&A. To be the outstretched hand of Overeaters Anonymous to those who urgently seek it, for this I am responsible. Pass on what you have learned. Many of you have been very effusive over the last two years about this big book study. And you write me very flattering emails and text messages about how special you think this is. That's great. Pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, please. Let's continue. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, in other words, when we're sponsoring, what's the first requirement of sponsorship? The first requirement is having had, past tense, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message, the message of the book, to, the, to other alcoholics and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. It's another word for the steps. 
There was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. What are the spiritual tools? The steps. We have found much of heaven and, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension. There's your third reference to a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. There is the dimension of width, height, and depth. Width, height, and depth. What is the fourth dimension? The fourth dimension is the dimension of the spiritual, of God. Dare I say God. It is the fourth dimension of spiritual. Some people don't like when I say God, and I'm all I'm doing is I'm referring to my higher power as I perceive that higher power to be. It does not need to be a religious deity. You do not have to have a conception of God that is in any way offensive to you. Uh, you do not have to have my concept of God. You have to have your concept of a power greater than yourself, which you are free to call by any name that you deem fit, that you choose. When I say God, I'm not forcing you into anything. I'm not telling you to believe or not believe in anything. This is my higher power. And since I'm speaking, this is my conception of a higher power that I'm referring to. You are free to have your own conception, whatever, whomever, wherever that concept may be. So we have complete freedom here. The only thing that's required is a willingness, not even a belief, a willingness to believe that there is a power greater than yourself. And as long as you're willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself, you are on your way. We assure you that we are on our way. Let's continue. The great fact is just this and nothing less. So this is the great fact. This is a very important part of this chapter. Not that there's unimportant parts, that we have had deep and effectual, effective spiritual experiences. I've never had a spiritual experience. If you have, I'd be anxious to hear your story someday, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life toward our fellows and toward God's universe. Wow. So we have a very key sentence of the chapter right here. It says the great fact is just this and nothing less that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows and toward God's universe. What did Dr. Jung tell Roland Hazard? He told him here and there, there are spiritual experiences that men have had. They are phenomenon. But why did he call them a phenomenon? Because he didn't understand it himself. And what did he say would be the result of a spiritual experience? That there would be an alteration of your ideas, thoughts, and behaviors. Wow. Something is going to alter my thoughts my ideas, my behaviors, I want in, let me in, because the way I'm thinking and the way I'm acting is not working. I'm getting fatter and fatter and more lonely and more isolated and more an object of ridicule. And my life is shrinking, shrinking, 
shrinking, shrinking, because the disease is a very effective abuser. What does an abuser do? An abuser, step one in abuse 101 is the abuser will separate you from your family, from your friends, from your support system, and they will become your only source of contact with anyone else. That's what abusers do. They lock you in basements. They lock you away. Emotionally, they isolate you. That's the abuser handbook 101. And this eating disorder that we have this disease that we have is no less an abuser than the most horrible, hideous serial killer that the world has ever seen. And what will this disease do? It will convince you that you're too fat to go to the wedding. It will convince you that you have nothing to wear to the funeral. It will convince you not to go to the birthday party, not to go to the christening, not to go to the bar mitzvah, to stay in the house and isolate because you should be ashamed of yourself because Fred is going to be at this wedding and he is going to ream you out for the weight that you've gained. So all of a sudden you come up sick and you're not going because you're scared. You're not sick. You're scared. The disease has won yet again. It has isolated you. It has kept you from the people and the things that you love. This disease is a murderer. Don't ever, ever take this disease lightly. I have learned respect for the killing force of this disease, and I hope I never, ever forget it. So this great fact is that we have had a spiritual experience that have revolutionized our attitude, our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty. Certainty is the key word that our creator has entered our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. Now, some people read that as lives. I read it as lives. Now, the reason that I read it as lives is I am speaking around me, for me. I need a living God. What is the difference between a living God in my mind and a dead God? A living God changes and adapts and metamorphosizes as my life changes. Remember, I just told you that I came to this, I almost said I came to this country. I came to Arizona on June the 23rd, 2002. My life is so different today. I was married then. I'm single now. I had a daughter then. I don't know if I'll ever have one again. I had a big house in Scottsdale, huge house, big backyard. I was making decent money. All that has changed. Everything has changed around me. I need a God that changes with it. I doubt there's one person on this line today whose life is identical to the way it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, life was very different. I need a God that changes with me, that as I go down the river of life, 
can see around the bend that I can't see, that can adapt and grow and bring me along to safety, no matter how many sandbars, no matter how many trees, no matter how many hazards are in my way, I will find a way to get through the navigation of life. One way or the other, I'm still alive. I'm still abstinent. I'm still losing weight. I'm still, I have my bills paid. I still have my friends and I still have this program. That's a lot to have. Most people only wish they had a clear cut instruction manual for life. And we have one right here, right now in our hands. And it's the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. That's a lot to have. Let's continue. Now, he has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. I don't know how a person could have accomplished what God has accomplished in my life. Let's look for just a second at what we're doing here this morning. Yesterday, there is someone visiting Arizona from Pennsylvania, and they wanted to have lunch with me. So we had lunch and we went to the Pita jungle just a few blocks from my house. I'm going to go there as soon as we're done. And we went to Pita jungle. There were several of us there. And I showed this person where the big book study used to be and how it started. And seeing it was so joyful for this person because they only hear me talk about it, but there they were standing there. So it was quite moving. And um, I could never have done by myself what God has done. There was 151 people that I saw on this line. Now we're down to 147, which is fine. But we were at 151. Did I ever really think that at some point in life, 150 other people would ever want to hear anything I would have to say about a program of recovery? No. You may want to hear what I had to say about jamming Doritos in your mouth. You may have wanted to hear what I had to say about how to eat four or five Almond Joy pieces at one time and not choke. You may have wanted to hear that. Maybe you just, you know, maybe you just couldn't decide between the regular chunky bars and the pecan chunky bars. So you needed an expert opinion on which chunky bars are best. You should call me. I, I know the difference. But would I ever think that anybody would ever want to hear anything I would have to say about anything positive? No. No. I have been pronounced dead by doctors from the time I was a child. When I was nine years old, many of you have heard me talk about this a lot. When I was nine years old, Dr. Morad Jacobson in Chicago put me on heavy-duty amphetamines diet pills. I was nine years old. How dare you do that? How dare you do that to a child? But yet there I was wired to the gills. My head was splitting apart, but I didn't eat. And that's the result they wanted. 
When I was 17, Dr. Bernstein told my what my wife, my mother, that I was going to die, that I was 300 pounds at 17 years of age. Doctors have been writing my death certificate for decades, and I'm here. And if I die today, I fully expect that God will extend his hand and say, rough start, kid, but you did a good job because I did the best that I could. I did the best that I knew how to do. And that's a lot to know. That's a lot to know that I did the best that I could and that I can go to God, whether it's today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I don't know. But I went to God without the shame and the horror the nightmare of this disease hanging around my throat. Let's knock off one more paragraph and then we'll be done for the day and we'll open it up to Q&A. If you are, I'm at the bottom of 25, we're gonna start next week. We're not done now. We're gonna do next week spiritual, we're gonna do appendix two, spiritual experience. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, Notice he says we were, I would take contention with that. If you are an alcoholic, you still are one, but let's, the two editors missed it. The one editor, Janet Blair was editing the text and the Tom Uzzle, uh, he was editing the content. He was moving things around and they both missed it. Bill missed it, Uzzle missed it, Blair missed it. It says, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, should be, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we are, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. And I believe that too. I'm either, I'm speaking for me, I'm either in recovery or I'm not. Everything I do today, everything I say today, everywhere I go today, I'm either moving toward God or I am moving toward hostess Twinkies and there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. The way I treat, I got to go to Safeway today, which is the grocery store here. Then I'm going to, well, I got to go to the, I'm going to go to lunch. How I treat people, how I treat the wait staff, how it's all part of my recovery. I can't claim to be in recovery if I treat people like dog doo-doo. That's not consistent with my recovery. Yeah, technically I can be abstinent, yes. But is that really recovery? No, I don't think so. All right, let's continue. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. My life was impossible. Couldn't sit, couldn't stand, couldn't fit in the car, couldn't get out of the car, couldn't wear clothes, couldn't be naked. Wasn't comfortable this way, wasn't comfortable that way. There was no pleasing me. When I'm in the food, there's never enough. There's never enough food to kill the pain of eating too much food. There are not enough pizzas in this world to kill the pain of eating a lot of pizza. And if you are not understanding that, I don't know how to make it any more clear. Let's continue. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives, 
One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Now, next week, before we get to Roland, we're going to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. I'll give you the history of how that came to be. And when we get done with Roland, we get done with Dr. Jung, I'm going to share with you some letters that were written in 1961 between Bill Wilson and Dr. Jung in Sweden, just before Jung passed away. I'm going to share with you the contents of some letters that were going on between these two men concerning Roland and the formation of Alcoholics Anonymous, which would not have been possible had there not been that contact between Roland Hazard and Dr. Carl Jung in Switzerland, Geneva, Switzerland, and Jung is J-U-N-G. So we've got a lot of history coming up before I go to California. We've got a lot of really interesting things coming up before I go to California. So don't miss the next couple of weeks. And I would suggest strongly that you 